tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch, for the Geeks and all the Geeks to come. And that's right, we are the Geek's Watch back again here this week to finish up our talk on Stranger Things. How are you, John? All right, still recuperating from that vacation last week. <laughs> Good. Yeah, you know, we we had to, we took a week off, but uh we're we're back and uh we're ready to we're ready to talk about some things. And as always, let's talk about some uh some geek news first. Um I have that The Rock has basically finished up his filming of Fast and the Furious 8. Uh whether or not you're a fan of Fast and the Furious 8, he put out an Instagram I mean, there has been a lot of like uh, turmoil news, I guess you could say, that, that's come out of this production between The Rock and other unnamed male co-stars. <laughs> and uh, if you keep up with that kind of gossip news, then you'll, you'll know it's, it seems like the, the biggest uh, rumor is that it's Vin Diesel that he's having a problem with, which is, you know, not a good thing, seeing as how it's it's kind of Vin Diesel's vehicle. It's his, uh, nah, not, not to put a pun into there, but it's his his franchise at this point and um uh, they seem to be having some type of uh, problems on set but he finished up and he he put out an instagram post saying uh, finish strong and on to the next that's an officially that's an officially wrap on uh fast and the furious 8 thank you to our director f gary gray for the vision and execution thank you to universal for being tremendous partners as always Thank you to all my fellow co-stars for the daily effort and grind. Scott Eastwood, you handsome son of a bitch. Natalie Amelia, or uh, Emmanuel, I have a cold Budweiser ready for you. And Tyrese Gibson, you still have the biggest smile and forehead I've ever seen. And huge thank you to all, or to our hardworking production crew and the backbone of our business. Your kind words meant a lot to me last night. Thank you. In the end, we all rallied as great teams do, kicked ass, and will deliver an amazing movie to the world. Proud to our entire fa- Fast family, and now, in two weeks, I'll re- re- reunite with old friends Kevin Hart and Jack Black. And then this is the part that I thought was interesting. Uh, we have the honor to introduce a whole new generation to the amazing world of Jumanji. For the record, we are not making a reboot, but rather a continuation of the awesome Jumanji story. It's also crazy to me how much Kev and Jack are crazy to me how much me, Kev and Jack look like triplets when we're together. Uh, man, this is gonna be fun. So I th- that's the interesting part is that Jumanji is gonna be a uh, continuation instead of a reboot, as we're usually uh, accustomed to now with uh, franchises that are making movies, you know, 10, 20 years after they came out. But Jumanji is going to be a continuation, so I'm guessing 
at some point after uh, the Robin Williams film, you know, the, the the game found its way to The Rock and Kevin Hart and and, and Jack Black, so they played. Well, that sounds like a jolly good time. <laughs> Which one do you think gets stuck in stuck in the Jumanji world for <laughs> for forty years or thirty years? Um... I would say it's probably The Rock, because, <laughs> uh, you know, I could see the angle being played where he's like a scrawny, geeky kid or something, and then comes out like this man Hulk, <laughs> you know, from a lifetime of having to survive. Now, I want to see some of what's in there, in inside the game, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. We didn't get to see a lot of the actual Jumanji world, like, inside the game uh, from the first movie. Uh, but then yeah. again, the whole game kind of comes out and becomes our world, so... Well, you get to see some of it in the Jumanji cartoon, and while it's still somewhat jungle-like, there's still, like, an interesting mystique about what's in there. Like, there's ruins. I mean, they basically make it sound like Skull Island from the the uh, Peter Jackson... Um, King Kong movie? King Kong movie, yeah. Like, where it's... You know, just gigantic monsters and, you know, flesh-eating plants and all kinds of really cool stuff. So it'd be kind of neat if we get to see a little bit of that this time around. Yeah, I agree. So maybe maybe that's what it is. Maybe this time the three of them get trapped inside the game. But, I mean, it'd be kind of hard if no one rolls, you know, the six or eight or whatever it's supposed to be. I didn't even know there was there was a cartoon. Yeah, it was... Um... Yeah, it was, I think it was just called Jumanji, the animated series or something. Oh. And uh, it basically um, takes place during the events of the movie. So they don't actually finish the game. It's still ongoing. But the the kids do get to go into the world of Jumanji. Like a good chunk, if not the whole series, I think. it's Actually, I think it all takes place inside the game. But okay. it's still the same characters of like Robin Williams and kids and the hunter dude good well there you go um yeah yeah, that's what i had for for that well in related news uh i got the other half of that story vin diesel confirming on his uh facebook page i think that uh guardians will in fact be featured in the infinity war movie uh, up until this point, it's been assumed that at least Chris Pratt would be making an appearance. But this is official confirmation that we're going to get to see the whole team in uh, whatever form it is by that point. Because uh, you don't know if there'll be new additions or old alliances forming uh, by the time that one comes out. I hope Yondu is an official member of the Guardians by that point, so we get to see him Yeah. In the Infinity War as well. It seems like in the uh, for everything that I've seen for the pre-production of Guardians Two, or as uh, as production is going on, I should say, uh, Yondu is part of the team. Um, it makes sense that uh, to me that the Guardians would be in Infinity War, seeing as how it's going to be so much involved with uh, uh, not Galact- Thanos, Thanos, and he. I think the most we've seen him is was in Guardians of the Galaxy One, so. Uh, yeah, him and the Infinity Stones, and it makes more sense that that uh, the Guardians would be involved. It also, but see, that was the biggest thing that I I thought was uh, was weird is that there's not going to be any more Infinity Stone talk in 
Guardians of the Galaxy 2, or at least they're not going to have one of the, the the last two missing stones in that movie. No, yeah, it's going to be all a more uh, self-contained story from what I've been reading. Which is good, I guess, so. Mm. Although, I guess, in uh, again, similar related news, the, the information they have released so far involving the plot of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is uh, really interesting. It looks like they're really taking the the cosmic approach to the Marvel side um, just with uh, no Fs given. They're just like, yeah, let's just hit this thing and go full-on space uh, sci-fi here now. <laughs> cool. Now, you know, you know Guardians of the Galaxy... Too. I don't know if they've wrapped filming yet or not, but it was filming during uh, San Diego Comic-Con. And that's when they announced that Brie Larson was going to be Captain Marvel. So I wonder if they're going to kind of throw in a scene where she's going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 since, you know, technically she's supposed to get her powers from the Kree. And we they talked about the Kree and... and uh, in the move in the first Guardians of the Galaxy, so, huh? My money's on Agents of Shield. You think you think they'll have some Guardians of the Galaxy, or I mean Captain Marvel, uh, show up in Guard or in Agents of Shield? Perhaps that might be interesting, and um, I would actually like it if there was more integration with more Agents of Shield in the, the movies, because. Like, literally having, like, a couple of side characters show up now and then isn't really enough. Or them showing up to a place where the Avengers were just at, you know, and they're cleaning up the mess. Um, not quite the integration I was hoping for. I was hoping it'd be more, you know, like, involved. Well, I did so, see... I yeah, did I think... see... Oh, I'm sorry. I did see a article... I think earlier this week or last week, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but they it did say that uh, uh, one of the Avengers will show up in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this season. So, I mean, you get that. It's probably Falcon. <laughs> uh, that's, that's fine with me. I, 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 I wouldn't doubt if it's like Ant-Man. <laughs> yeah, whichever one doesn't mind slumming it down to TV. I know Paul Rudd's done like Parks and Rec a few times, so maybe it's him, actually. That's true. Yes. Right. Well, keeping in the MCU, uh, uh, we have the Russo brothers talking about uh, Captain America Civil War, and I guess there was a scene that was written into the script that was cut that has a teaser and a reference to a very uh, loved comic book storyline, I guess with Captain America and Winter, and Winter Soldier, that didn't make it into Civil War that was supposed to, and they said that it's not going to be in the deleted scenes of the DVD or the Blu-ray when it comes out because they might still use it in a future movie. Uh, I don't, I haven't seen any speculation of what that scene could be or what the storyline uh, could be, um, but I imagine that the the theories are out there somewhere. So I would like to I would like to find out what it would, what, what it could be though. Do you have any? Is there some? <laughs> oh, go ahead. I was going to ask you. Do you have any particulars that you're uh, kind of hoping it could be talking about? You know, see, I, I would think that it would it 
the only thing I can really think about with Captain America and uh, and Bucky particularly would have to be something to do with the the Cosmic Cube. And as we know already, the Cosmic Cube was used to make. Uh, oh no, the Cosmic Cube was taken apart. Was it? Was it? No, that's not the. The scepter was used to make uh, Vision. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know. In the storyline, the Cosmic Cube is is the is in the comic books. The Cosmic Cube is used that it it could have possibly brought back Bucky to life. That Winter Soldier might not have been Bucky, but Captain America was holding it and he wished for it too hard. So you know he Bucky came back to life because of Captain America's wish through the Cosmic Cube because it's a you know a reality changing device. But uh, mm. I don't know. I don't know if that could have that could have been it or not. Did you have any theories? Uh, yeah, I was hoping that we'd get to see Spider-Man reveal his identity to the world and have J. Jonah pass out. <laughs> oh, that would be good, but we'd ha- you'd have you would have to wait for uh, Homecoming because you got I don't even know if uh, that that particular Peter Parker would be working in uh, you know the the Bugle at this point. Doing some of that freelance uh, blogging right now probably <laughs> well see that was what you know was interesting with amazing spider-man they didn't he wasn't there we never saw the the bugle or jay jonah in in amazing spider-man or amazing spider-man 2 uh so i thought that was an interesting part that they never put into the into that movie now in the you know ultimate universe the spider spider-man ultimate or ultimate spider-man i should say uh peter parker worked at the bugle but he wasn't a photographer he was like part of their it department so he still got that whole like i'll be in the information and know where to go to fight the bad guys but he wasn't taking pictures yeah a spider-man that doesn't have a camera like a big old slr lens just isn't (laughs) spider-man i i yeah you know it's it's it was an interesting choice, I would say, for uh, Bendis to, to ch- take that away from the Spider-Man character, but it was updated, you know, and it was Ultimate Spider-Man, so it was okay if it changed a little. I suppose so, yeah. Well, in uh, in related Spider-Man news, <laughs> it's been revealed that uh, the actress named Zendaya, which I haven't been able to figure out if that's just like an artistic thing, or a like they don't know what her last name is. Well, I think what I've heard is that she's not just an actress. Like, cause I think she's like an actress on like on Disney or something like that. But she's also a model. So you know those ah. models with those half names or single names. So she's like she's like Iman or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know if that really just dated me. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the last time I heard what that name was like in the nineties, but uh. Uh, yeah, so the actress-slash-model, Zendaya, uh, may in fact be playing Mary Jane in uh, the Spider-Man Homecoming. And uh, it was recently uh, deduced, I suppose, that that's who she might be playing, because when they introduced her character, I believe, at Comic-Con, with a bunch of the other cast, uh, they actually referred to her character as being named like Mary Gonzalez or something like that. And uh, now that it's come out that she might, in fact, be playing Mary Jane instead, um, let's be met with some backlash, because she doesn't look like your typical Mary Jane. 
Yeah, I had heard some of this uh, uh, tide, or this rumor and theory and stuff on online too. Once again, I mean, it, it seems like we're going to get this every time they, you know, the movies decide to change the race of a character from the comic books. Mm-hmm. I, I, to me, I, I think it's more important that she be the tough you know, independent Mary Jane that you see in the comic books, then heard be white and redheaded. Red yeah. redhead, you know, she could still be redhead even though she's she's not white, so it just it might look a little different, but uh, it, it's yeah. it's more important for me to for her to have the characteristics than to have the, the, the look, I guess. Yeah, that always bothered me about the Toby Maguire run of uh Spider Man is that I felt that the roles were somewhat reversed for Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy. I felt that that Mary Jane was just a little too unstable and um, like damaged, I guess. (laughs) Didn't know what she wanted and um, didn't really quite look like model material anyway. She was a little too snackletooth. I mean, and don't get me wrong, I love Kirsten Dunst. I just felt like as far as casting goes, that was a misstep. Well, I think you're absolutely right. They t- they definitely like changed. They switched the two personalities of of the characters. They gave Mary Jane the Gwen Stacy personality, and then when they introduced Gwen Stacy in in what Spider Man three, they gave her yeah. Mary Jane's personality. It was it was completely backwards, and uh, it was I mean obviously a little weird, but uh, it, it that's what we had in those ones. And if we can correct it, if they can put in a, an actress that you know it belongs it's then that's even better but see again we're if if they're putting him in high school again why is it going to be mary jane it should be gwen stacy that was his girlfriend in high school until mary jane showed up much later i think it's just because it's one of those things where mary jane is the more known character and like they're just doing that amalgamation of the different storylines it's basically just like uh putting the things that people are more familiar with, whether that makes sense to the continuity or not, it's like, well, I mean, that's this is its own thing. So in, in the TV movie universe, this is how it actually went down, not how it did in the 60s, I'm guessing. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, yeah. you're right, because that's what we had in the 90s cartoon, which I think a lot of people, uh, at least a lot of people our age know, and then there's been lots of Spider-Man cartoons since then. So, and I think those usually have Mary Jane in them too. Plus, I think redheads just kind of stand out more. You know, <laughs> probably. Well, I don't doubt it because look at how many redheads uh, uh, Stan Lee put into all the comic books. I mean, everybody's a redhead. <laughs> Gene Gray's a Never redhead. Never thought about that. Yeah. You think he's got a, a fetish or something? <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he just might. <laughs> so... Yeah, so, I mean, I've never seen anything of this girl's performance, so, I mean, if like you were saying, if she gets the character right, um, I think it'd be fine. And just as a little extra little, like piece of trivia there, since we're on the topic of Mary Janes and whatnot, um, I always thought it was funny that they hired Kirsten Dunst, a blonde, to play a redhead, <laughs> and then when they got, what's her name? Um, Emma Watt, or Emma Stone. Not uh, not Emma Stone, the other one that played. Um... Oh, Bryce Dallas Howard. Bryce Dallas Howard. Yes, I was trying to remember her name. Um, they they got a redhead to play a blonde. Yeah. And if, if that doesn't show you just how much they 
got that backwards. That's like <laughs> the best example of it right there. This is very true. Yeah, I mean that that's completely backwards. <laughs> All right, you got another one there for us. Uh, so as we're gonna be talking about Stranger Things later, um, the the Duffer Brothers have gone on an interview to talk about uh, the character of Barb in season one, uh, as we'll, we'll be talking about later. And, she, you know, as she got killed, and really the only person that seemed to be upset about it was her best friend, Nancy, I believe her name is. And uh, they've gone on to say, uh, I can't, or that uh, Barb will not be forgotten. We'll make sure there's some justice for Barb. Uh, she, th- This was on I- IGN. People get very frustrated, understandably, that uh, the town doesn't seem to be really dealing with Barb. That stuff is all happening. We're just not spending any screen time on it. It's not like her parents are like, "Oh, Barb left. She died. Oh, okay." <laughs> it's it, you know, it's 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 all. I guess it's gonna be it would be more deal dealt with in in season two. I mean, because in, in and we'll talk about this more later, but it did seem like. Uh, you know, a lot of people were just up in arms about the little kid being missing, but this teenager goes missing, and no one really cares. And I, I guess that's because they found the car, and they 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 figure teenagers just run away all the time anyway. So, yeah, it sounds like that's kind of where they left it. But you know, missed opportunity to throw in a Night of the Living Dead reference. Have somebody say they're coming to get you, Barbara. That you know, that's true. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> It would have been a good line, like right there near near the pole, too. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I know and, you had a few uh, things you want to talk about Stranger Things before we get into actually talking about it. Yeah, the uh, there's a uh, two videos on YouTube, and uh, I'll send them to you so we can have them linked on the 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 page here for the for the podcast. Uh, but there's two really awesome videos. Uh, one of them is uh, the ending explained. For Stranger Things plus clues to season two, so if you've already like if you know listened to this, we're assuming you've already seen the whole series. If not, get to it because it's awesome. Um, the it is left kind of open ended, where uh, although the main story is technically resolved, there's still a few like loose ends, I guess you could say. And um, the show starts off with and ends with uh, a D and D campaign. And then uh, they give you hints about the possible season two storylines when they talk about what their next game is going to be. And uh, this one basically points it out. It's like, yeah, they, they basically say, hey, what about this? What about that? In reference to what was going on in their campaign that perfectly mirrors events of the, you know, that happened within the show itself. So that's really cool if you want a little extra explanation or insight into, you know, what they resolved and what's still potential plot lines for season two. It's really cool. And then there's also another one called uh, Stranger Things, Every Reference and Easter Egg Explained. Now, that one's a little bit longer. That one's like almost half an hour long. <laughs> but if you really dig like all the references and uh, homages that they put in this thing, it's so totally worth it. It's uh, it, the it points out like you can't deny after this that this is like a love letter to Stephen King. No, but you it also really it, can't. Yeah, but then it also mentions the different other movies that it pays homage to, like Aliens and um, 
I'm already forgetting some of them off the top of my head. But yeah, they're all in their ET, the biggest one probably. Jaws being a huge one. And uh, The Thing. It, it, there's just a lot of really cool stuff in there. So uh, yeah, we'll have to have you, you know, have those linked up on there so that people can check them out and and uh you know have something to do in the the off season because now that the show's over you know I just don't know what to do with myself <laughs> uh yeah that's what we we have to find more shows to talk about um is is that all you had for uh news one last thing Jared Leto our new joker oh that's right Apparently, he didn't find it very funny that he was edited out of most of the movie. Yeah, he's uh, very disappointed, he says, in interviews, and uh, feels that he was tricked by the production to star in a movie that he felt was being uh, pitched to him as being much more Joker-centric. And uh, although he claims he hasn't seen the movie yet, this is all based on what people have been telling him. He's very displeased at what he's been hearing about his role in the movie. You know, the, I, I I don't know. You can you can like Jared Leto as an actor. You can hate him. That's neither here nor there. But I think that it's funny that he's kind of. I mean, and this is all you know. This is all internet news, so it's all it, you can't. You have to take a lot of it with a grain of salt, but. If he's throwing a tantrum over this, I mean, he's got to realize that lots of things get filmed that don't make it into movies. It's just the way the business is, right? And it's it's ridiculous that he would think that the movie would be more based on him when it's not. It's called Suicide Squad. Obviously, he's not even part of the squad. Why would it be so much based? I thought the movie was going to be uh, just a huge Harley Quinn origin story. And I'm actually, that's one of the few things that I actually liked about it is that it didn't focus as much as I thought it was going to on Harley, the character of Harley Quinn. So it, it, I, it just befuddles me, I guess that he would be upset by this. Well, maybe he's still like in his Joker persona and he's playing just like a huge narcissist. <laughs> Uh, you know what? I I wouldn't. You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of uh uh was it Robert Downey Jr.'s character in Tropic Thunder, where he's like, I don't drop character until I do the commentary on the Blu-ray. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, there are tons. We were talking about this before. There's tons of story stories out there of of all the things that Jared Leto did to stay in character while he was staying in character while making the movie of sending uh you know a, was it rats to Margot Robbie on set and you know. Use condoms to the other cast members. Yeah, it's like there's one thing to be a method actor. Look at Daniel Day Lewis, but there's another thing to just you know fucking ruin the day of other people. <laughs> Can you imagine though? I mean, this is probably going to go over the heads of some of our fans or listeners. But um, Daniel Day Lewis and his my left foot days, just how like annoying it would have been to be on the crew that during that time having to like wheel him around in that wheelbarrow you know because he won't walk you know he's he's playing the character so he can't move around like he you know normal person should so just i I feel like there's some interesting stories about working with him yeah there's definitely interesting there's like what uh during uh the last of the mohicans he built his own log cabin and lived on it on set while they were filming. 
There was yeah, uh, lived uh, in the woods. Yeah, in, in Lincoln, he made everybody call him Abraham. You know, President Lincoln, while he was not filming and stuff. Uh, I a friend of mine, or you know, uh, another part of Geekly Radio, Aaron Berrigan, he said. You know, someone should write a script about time travel and give it to Daniel Day-Lewis to see if he'll actually invent time travel so that he can do this movie. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, he's an interesting dude. I've always... I'm not a huge fan of the movies he's in, even though they're usually good. But I gotta hand it to him. You know, he really puts his all in it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, but with Jared Leto, it's like, uh, I mean, I get it. He, he won, you know, was it best supporting actor for, uh, Dallas Buyers Club and he's a dedicated actor, but you got to realize that with these DC, uh, you know, extended universe movies, he's not just playing the Joker in Suicide Squad. He's going to be playing the Joker in at least six other movies, and uh, you know, eventually he's gonna be fighting with Batman. You'll they'll see it. It'll be a movie. He'll he'll film lots of shit for it. So now, do you think that this is gonna be a a case where this little tantrum he's throwing is gonna get him recast, or this will just be something that passes? Uh, you know, I don't think if if it, if he ends up being recast, it won't be on the studio side. It will be his decision, like to drop out, and they'll. They'll, you know, the studio will probably end up suing him for whatever reason for breach of contract, and then they'll find someone else to play it. But I, I don't think that he would make that. He would make that decision. I mean, obviously, uh, there's gonna there's gonna be an even if people don't like these movies, there's still gonna be an audience, and they're still gonna make money. That's true. I mean, it, it's not like he was the draw. He was just more of a stunt casting, in my opinion. Yeah, I think at the at this point, yeah, because he no. he brought that rocker mentality to the Joker that they were looking for this time. I mean, he is a, a rock star. I mean, I don't listen to his music, but I, I assume a lot of people do. Yeah, it's not bad. I've heard it. Okay, it's okay. <laughs> now, kind of on a similar story to this. This is a little older, but I just felt like it, I could see the parallels. Um, Mickey Rourke had a lot of similar things to say about his performance in Iron Man 2. Um, he said he was very upset because he put a lot of work in the research into his character. Like he went so far as to actually like once he was cast, he went to Russia and like went to prison there to kind of see what it was like firsthand in like a gulag or something, you know, and, and, and learn firsthand from like Russian prisoners you know, what their tattoos mean and, like, to pick up on their idiosyncrasies of things that they would do to to get more in character. So then when he finally ended up in the film and saw that he was barely in it, you know, he was pretty pissed off. And in uh, later interviews, when they asked him if he was not a fan of comic book movies in reference to, you know, the whole thing that happened with Iron Man 2, he would then go on to say, no, he loves comic book movies. He's just not a Marvel fan at this point. I was like, huh. How well, can he say that he's not that much in that movie? He's the whole first act and the third act. Like, that movie has so much of him in it. The only problem, I mean, he, I trust me, I did not like his performance in that movie. I thought his character was dumb. I thought his portrayal of the character was terrible. 
I you know, but there's lots of problems with Iron Man too. Other than that, I mean, the, the whole second act is about Tony and uh, Shield and his father, and it doesn't you know, it's all just basically basically setting up for uh the mc mcu the rest of the mcu like how you know everything is connected through shield and, and it, it 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 so stops the flow of the movie and then you know the whole uh, tony with the party i don't know that movie is just terrible but it, the fact that he <laughs> sit there and, and and say that he, he's not in it enough that's ridiculous well like i said you know some actors they feel like the movie gets pitched to them a certain way and if they don't get their ego stroked or something, then they get a little upset, I guess. Yeah. You know, that that's like, like, I don't know, you know, lots of people talk about how he was a big actor in the eighties and early nineties. You know, I guess that was before my time. Cause I didn't really, wa- I didn't watch a lot of his movies, but then he comes back with the wrestler and that's supposed to be like, he, you know, he was supposed to be getting all kinds of praise for it. I was like, he's just playing himself. He's a, he was a washed up actor that, gets a second chance and that's kind of what the wrestler was about and all of a sudden he starts showing up in all these other movies and i'm like he's not that good of an actor he he, he kind of just fucking chews up everything around him I, I don't know to me mickey work doesn't get it doesn't need, need as much respect as he, he gets <laughs> yeah he's more of a presence than than a performer i think exactly well, yeah, that's pretty much all I got there. <laughs> well, okay, there you go. Uh, and then let's go ahead and get on to uh, our finishing up of Stranger Things. So, you know, we'll, I think the last we talked about was episode four, but we can go ahead and just talk about the whole show as a uh, you know a whole now. Right on. Oh, actually, real quick side note, since it just occurred to me right now, um, I guess this could technically count as still on the news, but segues into Stranger Things like perfectly. Uh, the little kid that plays Mike Wheeler, arguably the main character of the series, if not the leader of the kid group, uh, is actually cast as the the main dude in the new It movie. That's very that's the uh, well. I mean, I'm fitting. I don't know. I was gonna say strange, but I mean, uh, you know, obviously, <laughs> obviously, there's a lot of elements of It in Stranger Things. So the fact that he's gonna be in it Stephen King's it the new Stephen King's it that's believable I guess (laughs) yeah from what I was reading he was originally cast to be in it in it um and it's hard to say that when it's part of the title (laughs) um he was originally cast in it uh when they had that other director and the other kid from we're the millers uh involved in the project okay and then it fell apart so he then went on to do stranger things and uh, after they finished Stranger Things, they restarted it. I was going to say they rebooted it, but <laughs> oh, man, it's like a tongue twister. Uh, so now he's in it again. Well, there you go. It, yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> Which now brings us to Stranger Things, episodes five through eight. Uh, well, but the, the titles of these episodes are as follows. Uh, episode five is called The Flea and the Acrobat which has a, a really cool explanation of the alternate dimensions. Uh, the Monster, uh, The Bathtub, and The Upside Down. All of these are reference to major set pieces of set episodes. And um, 
so yeah, uh, as a whole, the series was pretty damn good. <laughs> and I, I, mean, Area... I think it's pretty obvious. It seems with the the rest of the consensus of the Netflix viewing, you know, world as as put out there, that it's it's a pretty good show, and that's why they've already greenlit season two. Um, talking about the titles of the of the episodes, the flea and the acrobat. So once again, this brings up the thing that I was talking about last. Uh, uh, time we were, we got together, they get this whole explanation of you know the upside down world from uh, their what junior high science teacher and like it's like this guy has such concepts of of out there science that you I don't think you'd normally find well at least not today I don't think of of uh, a junior high science teacher. Yeah, I, I mean, it's been a while since I've been in junior high, but I feel like um, my teachers back then weren't very versed in, like, extra-dimensional studies. <laughs> you know, parallel worlds and string theory yeah. and <laughs> all that stuff. But, yeah, so, the, you know, the, his and his explanation is, is you know, uh, I guess technical enough yet simple enough for... Not only the children to understand, but everybody else that's watching that it would need uh, the the help to do so. And uh, would you like to put put out there how how he describes it? Uh, yeah, my guess is that he probably watched um, Event Horizon or Interstellar, <laughs> and then decided to say, "Hey, that's a pretty cool thing." But I'm going to also draw like a line and a stick figure on the paper. <laughs> in this case, it was a paper plate. And then do the really awesome punch a hole with a pencil in it. <laughs> so yeah, basically, he describes the uh, interdimensional uh, traveling, I suppose, for lack of a better way of saying it, as um, a paper plate, you know, in a circle, and uh, you draw a, a a line through the middle, and on the top of the line you have a person, in this case being represented by an acrobat, and a flea. And his explanation is that, you know, a person can only travel back and forth on the top of the line because that is uh, essentially the third dimension. That's the, uh, the, the the limitations of physical reality mean you can only go back and forth on this line if you're a person. However, a flea can travel on the top of the line, on the side of the line, and on the bottom of the line. Now... In this interesting situation, I mean, the teacher doesn't know what's going on or why the kids are asking, but the kids make the connection that both uh, Eleven and the the creature, the monster, in this case, uh, I don't know if we talked about it last time, but I guess he's been dubbed the Tulip Head. Tulip Head. <laughs> yes. Looks like a flower, I guess, when he opens up. Um, yeah, both of these are kind of like the, the flea because they can travel on both sides of this line. So when they ask if it's possible to to go to the other side of the line, to the underside, in this case the upside down, the the teacher then says, oh yeah, you know, if you have enough power, uh, theoretically it's possible, and it would look something like this, and he folds the paper in half, representing a fold in, you know, dimensional space, and then, uh, you know, the power would create a portal and then that's when he uses the pencil to punch a hole through it and saying, there, you know, that's what you would get. But, you know, something like that would require a tremendous amount of power. It would affect, you know, gravity. It would just be, like, amazing. 
Yeah, this is something we would know about if they could do it. And that's what gives uh, uh, Lucas, no, not Lucas, Dustin, Dustin, the idea that, oh, hey, since the teacher said that it would affect magnetism, check out our compasses. Like, they're pointing to a different direction, not true north. That's got to mean that that's where the, the portal is, because, you know, all of the stuff that they put together. So I thought that was really interesting and really cool. I, I like that science teacher, by the way. I felt I, when I first saw him on screen, I thought it, it for a split second it was French Stewart. <laughs> I could but see then that. I realized, not him. yeah. Then I realized his voice is a little too uh, too silky to be <laughs> that guy. So yeah, that, that's when the the children or the kids go on their adventure, their first adventure to try and find uh, the portal uh, by using their compasses, and and uh, I think that's uh, oh, well, they they they're they're going, they're they're riding around on their bikes, and uh, they find out that eleven is actually manipulating the needles, uh, so that they don't find the portal because she's afraid of it. She obviously doesn't want to go back there. Right. And that all of that happens during the, the scene when they're traveling on the, the train tracks, very similar to stand by stand me. By me <laughs> AKA the body. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So they find out that she's doing this, which causes Lucas. Now I got the, the right character this time, um, to have a kind of get mad at them. And he starts fighting with um, Mike, at which Eleven gets kind of upset by this and uses her powers to, like, force push him off and knocks him out briefly. Which then also scares her because, you know, her power is pretty strong and she can't really control it. Uh, Lucas gets really, you know, mad, upset, and decides to go on without them, keep looking. Uh, actually, I think at this point, Eleven also disappears. Oh, that's like right. Turn and, yeah, that's when she goes on her her ego stealing uh, <laughs> phase. Which uh, I and, have also seen that turn into a, a pretty good uh, was it a, a meme online now when when she's walking out of the the grocery store with the egos and she closes the doors on the the manager. It's like uh, what does it say? Uh, leaving work on Friday and your boss tries to give you some extra stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The one I've seen is, uh, I wish someone would look at me the way Eleven looks at Egos. And she's like <laughs> holding the box like yummy, you know. <laughs> That's you know. So I think it was interesting is that later on in the in the episodes, um, when Dustin is talking to Mike, and you know Mike hasn't yet made up with with uh, Lucas, and Dustin comes to the realization that, or he. he Get Mike's to come to the realization that you know the reason why D- Lucas is so upset is because uh, Mike is so infatuated with Eleven, and you know obviously having feelings for her that his best friend Lucas is feels like he's being pushed out, and you know Mike is like, no, he's not. I mean, you're both my best friend. He's like, it's okay. I Dustin's like, it's okay. You guys were friends before I showed up, and you know you're best friends now. I'm I'm also part of the group, but it it's weird to, see, to have to hear. Such young kids have a, a conversation like that that, you know, most kids don't even think about. Yeah, you know, what's funny that you bring that up is I remember having conversations like that when I was in school. Really? Yeah. Oh. I was like, um, yeah, so like, 
I know we've been friends for a while, but I know you've been friends with this dude like far longer. So technically, he's your best friend, <laughs> and I understand. And I don't know why like we have those kinds of conversations at that time. I don't know like it, everything just feels like it's so much more important when you're younger, and you know the world is a lot smaller then. So the world it's is a lot smaller then. Yeah, and it it was it was such a real moment to me that I'm like, wow, like these these are like really well done characters. You know, they they go through things that I feel like some of us have gone through. Very true, and uh, it, and and it, I mean, I guess that would be around the time that you know those that age of those characters would be, you know, finding out about emotional feelings about stuff like that and you know maybe your friends do get pushed to the side but it's 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 an interesting thing to have and right in the middle of a a, a, a real sci-fi storyline i guess yeah that's what and that's what makes these things good is you know besides having an interesting um well done story so you also have characters that feel like real people. Exactly. Wow. So in the next episode, uh, which is called the the monster, right? Yes. And like I know that it was going to be, you know, obviously as we've watched this show so far, the monster is the is Tulipad, and uh, but it was it was cool. I guess to to see them come out come out with that dialogue the line of dialogue where she realizes that she's the monster because she created it or at least brought it into this world. Yeah, like you you get to see a lot of really cool flashbacks to when she's, you know, being used by the the agency to do like remote viewing. It's like really similar stuff to what they talk about in um was it the men who stare at goats? You know, like basically long distance espionage through like telepathicness, I guess. Yeah. Remote viewing. Yeah. And, all that um, stuff. Yeah. All that really cool stuff. And, um, then she starts to hear like monster growling sounds. And at first she's afraid of it. So she runs away. She doesn't know what it is. All she knows is that it's something that shouldn't be there, which of course gets the scientists all excited. They're like, Hey, we, we want to know what else is going on in there. So this time don't run away, actually go to it. You're, you're going to be fine. You know, it's, um, it can't hurt you. It's all like in your head, basically. So you get the really cool glimpses of the upside down when it's just her and it just looks like a big blank space. Like there's just, it's just blackness. And, um, the floor is somewhat reflective, like almost like there's a layer of water that she can walk on. So it's, she always has like, like her only reflection is all you can see. And she starts walking towards the the sounds and walks up to this, well, yeah, what looks like a monster eating something, which is interesting because every other time we see the Upside Down, it's it's a twisted version of our world, very much like Silent Hill's other world, you know, Mm -hmm. where, you know, you just take like a mirror of this and just flip it upside down and reverse it, Missy Elliott, and... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh, in these uh, in these early stages it's just like nothing it's just like i don't know if that's representative that in her mind right now that's all she knows it's just basically this big blank space or i if it's because you know 
I don't know. It, there's a lot that could be analyzed with that, well, why see, it changes later on. And that's what I was thinking about. I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, you know, it was that world nothing but that blackness until she showed up, and then she brings in the fact that, you know, because she's from the right side world, I guess, instead of the upside down, you know, and she, and she brings into her, her world into that. And then thus it starts to mimic. It's possible. Yeah. I think it's, um, actually, I, th well, the origins of the monster, I think are still up in the air. Supposedly the Duffer brothers have like a 30 page document that details exactly what the monster is and how it relates to L 11 and, the rest of this world and i am like as much as i'm dying to know what's in this document that they wrote i don't know if i want to know like i i feel like it's one of those things where everybody's interpretation brings something to the table and to have them just demystify it even if it's a really really good explanation i feel like that takes a little something away from it uh, you know fair enough i i think uh, I, I guess I'd be kind of the same way. I'd, I'd like it to to stay a mystery, but then eventually I would also like you know maybe you know fifteen years down the line to be like oh you know this is what they they hadn't planned you know just as a you know to to to, to I guess reference it against what everybody else has, had had come up with. Yeah, to see what crazy theories that were out there. Now I came up with a crazy theory. Uh, as to what the monster was, and um, the first person I shared it with, like, shot it down so bad, I'm almost <laughs> afraid to like share it again here. That's okay. You should you should be able to, you free, free to to share those ideas, even if it's it's been debunked already. Yeah. Well, my theory was, um, and this is just one of them, but this is the first one: is that the monster was actually Eleven's mother, and. Um, it was her her psyche after it had been twisted by all the experimentation and drugging that the agency gave her. Like basically, when um, as the story progresses, you have uh, Hopper and um, Winona Ryder's character, the mom, track down Eleven. What, what could be Eleven's mother? Right. It, it it sounds like this, that's where this is going. It's not a hundred percent confirmed. They just kind of all the pieces just seem to fit. And uh, so they show up at this home, and they're like, hey, uh, so we want to talk about this baby that you had. And they're like, oh, you, you must want to talk to my sister. And so they basically take the, uh, the, the lady that opened the door, takes the, the two characters to meet this woman who looks like she's basically a vegetable. Um, you know, she's unresponsive, doesn't talk. And the sister explains that the government really did a number on her. You know, with all the drugs and stuff that they were doing, they were basically doing experimentation with LSD and mind control, and they mentioned NK Ultra a few times, which interestingly was actually a real declassified CIA experiment that started in the 60s, I think. Mm -hmm. um, also with using um, LSD and trying to see like what the limits of the mind was and all that interesting, cool conspiracy stuff that I love. <laughs> and um, they... Uh, so yeah, that that they they say that you know because she spent so much time looking for her daughter and you know probing and and poking where she shouldn't be like that that was the result insinuating that the government just like drugged her up beyond the ability to function or did something to her anyway. So my theory was that the monster what was is what was left of her mind that basically got stuck in the upside down while she was attempting to make contact or look for eleven. 
And then it was now. debunked. And then they were like, nope, I don't think so. That's <laughs> It was probably more of just something that existed in the upside down or um, maybe it's just like a a fraction of the personality that Eleven has that represents like the darkness and the potential in all of us and blah, 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 you know. But why? I'm like, I don't know. Why, why? It didn't give you a reason why it couldn't be? I think that's a pretty, a pretty good solid theory. Um, I don't remember now what it was. I just remember kind of just walking away in shame that <laughs> my theory was rejected so, <laughs> so, uh, harshly. Um, no, basically they were just saying, well, like the, the monster's trying to kill Eleven and I made the argument, well, I think the monster's trying to find her, but I don't think it's necessarily trying to hurt her. It's trying to hurt everyone else, you know, and that could be, you know, the monster's maternal instincts. Now we do see what look like eggs in the, uh, the, uh, upside down at one point and something is trying to impregnate, um, the other, you know, humans that are brought in there. Uh, so the, the, the reference was made that, well, maybe Tulip Head isn't the only monster. Maybe it's a couple, like a male and a female. Or, um, eh, not I necessarily. Thought... It could be a, it could be a, a creature that, you know, reproduces asexually. It doesn't necessarily have to be, have to have a mate. Yeah. And also, there was another theory I heard that there was multiple monsters because um, the one that uh, they hurt at the uh, the buyer's house when they set up all those booby traps and, you know, catch it in the bear trap and then burn it. And I think they hit it a few times with the baseball bat. Uh-huh. The next time we see the creature, it doesn't look like it's injured at all. It, does, it doesn't look burnt or like it suffered any damage. So they're saying, see, that shows that it's got to be multiple creatures. Or, you know, uh, it could be like Freddy Krueger, and when it gets pulled into the real world, it, it, it can get damaged, but when it when it goes back to its own uh, upside down, it, it heals up. Actually, that's a really good reference, too, because that exact same scene that I was just mentioning about is in that Easter egg video, or uh, reference video. That's exactly how they fight Freddy Krueger in one of the movies, is they, they pull him into the real world. And that they set up a bunch of booby traps and set them on fire. Yep, exactly. Like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I thought I thought your theory was uh, was pretty good. I think that it could it could be there. Now the reason they sent her into eleven into the upside down was because she was supposed to find a certain person, right? Yeah, they were trying to use her to spy on like Russians or something, and. There was um they made a mention like there was a few times where she was uh early on she was just listening to people that were like in a different room in the same facility so by the time they got to the Russian like stage of the experiment um the doctor played by uh, Matthew Modine uh who were real quick piece of trivia this makes the second character from Full Metal or the second actor from Full Metal Jacket to be part of a Netflix original series. Oh, with Vincent Zanofrio being part of Daredevil? Yep. And now uh, Matthew Modine, a.k.a. Private Joker, <laughs> is uh, the doctor in this one. This really has me hoping that uh, when we finally get Punisher, we have some you know flashback scenes to Frank Castle in boot camp, and we have Arlie <laughs> Ermey as his scunny. <laughs> oh, that would be, that'd be perfect. I don't know if 
you know, he he might he might be a little too old <laughs> to be the, you know, gunny still, but it, it would or, be pretty good. Or maybe father-in-law or something. Okay, yes. I could get that. <laughs> I think he could still do it though. And I don't think I don't think that. Uh, you know, did you say the Punisher Frank Castle would be in in Vietnam? He'd be a little too young for that. <laughs> well, no, like still be like like during the uh, uh, Afghanistan era, but you know, move it all up a little bit. Right. Okay. Fair enough. That was originally where he was, right? Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. originally where. And for the longest time, actually, they kept that as part of uh, Frank Castle. Like, so he was like one of the few. Uh, you know, comic book characters that actually aged because he was still part of uh, Vietnam. But, you know, eventually they made it so that he was part of Desert Storm and then now, uh, you know, whatever the incursion is called now. <laughs> oh, Iraqi Freedom. <laughs> Operation Guard the Poppy Fields. <laughs> oh, well, let's not get too political, I guess. <laughs> we'll have plenty of time for that later during the, the election time. So... Uh yeah, so then we have we learned a lot more about the monster and Ellie and their connection thereof. Uh, it looks like her going deeper into her own power is sort of what attracted or draw drew out the monster because like she was basically using it, um, you know, with uh, more strength than ever before in order to go basically all the way around the world and spy on some Russians. And you actually do get to see briefly like a. A dude dressed up like a KGB officer or something, so you know that it's working. And then that—that's also when she starts to see the, uh, or she starts to hear the monsters grumblings and growlings. Which you know, once again, because there's a lot of comic book uh, references in this, I wonder if that's kind of like a—you uh, know—that could be kind of like a uh, reference to Nightcrawler, who, you know, as we know in the in the X Men comic books, he teleports between worlds, but he's not just teleporting; he actually goes into a uh, another realm like a, a hellish realm that and then goes to the point where he wants to get to so her viewing her remote viewing actually takes her through the upside down first and then to where she wants to see mm-hmm. so yeah that's really interesting although she doesn't really teleport no I'm, I'm she's still going through the upside down to see somewhere else is what i'm saying oh yeah too true too true uh, so then the next episode is the bathtub, and we get that reference because Hopper uh, broke into the HPL and and saw the sensory deprivation tank that they put Eleven into to get into the Upside Down. Yeah, he recognizes that some kind of a tank with water, and he sees the big portal in the wall, the, the tear. And uh, <laughs> yet again, the kids know who to talk to immediately <laughs> in order to find out what to do, how to do that. Like, hey, science guy, who oh, kudos to him, man, having a date night with a a nice looking lady and watching the thing. <laughs> and I love like, it because right because while he's watching the thing, he's sitting there just giving her, even though it's a it's a pretty pivotal scene in the, in the movie, and you know things are going on, and the lady is obviously like kind of like weirded out by the whole thing, but yet he's giving off movie trivia, like behind the scenes trivia about how they made the scene and how they pulled off the the special effect, and I'm just thinking that's me. I would be doing the exact same thing. I, I was gonna say yeah, same here. I'm like, <laughs> this dude's like officially my favorite character now. I relate to him so much more. 
And then once again, a teacher, he, as a teacher, he goes above and beyond. This is a Saturday night. He's on a date night. He, you know, he's having pizza. He's, he's watching a movie with, with a lady friend and the Dustin calls up his, how would you make a sensory deprivation tank? And he's like, I'm kind of busy at the moment. He's like, I really need to know. I was like, okay, we'll write this down. And, you know, he just has <laughs> all this information just readily on, on top of his head on how to make a sensory deprivation tank. Now, that scene gave birth to one of my favorite memes to come out of this so far as well, um, where, where Dustin's explaining to the rest of the crew, like, hey, so this is what we're going to need to make a sensory deprivation tank. And then he mentions we're going to need salt, a lot of salt. And Hopper's like, where are we going to find that much salt? And then they show them the next scene driving up to their school. Well, uh, I guess now if they ever want to make fun of a, a certain community, uh, whenever it shows that one scene where they drive up to the school, the name of whatever they're making fun of is going to be at the, at the top of the school. So, <laughs> like if it's, a, if it's a different subreddit, like the Pokemon Go community, I was like, oh, you'll find a lot of salt here. <laughs> uh, I've seen it for a few others that are really funny. And I don't even think that would, like, the, the amount of salt that he says is, like, a ridiculous amount. I just remember thinking that when when, uh, when he said it, and then they go up to the school, and I was like, that's not even close to what the kid said. Yeah, and plus it was, like, the super granular kind of <laughs> like the icing. I'm like... Dude, that's going to be really uncomfortable to be in that water. <laughs> like, you're going to feel so grimy and gross, probably. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, then they, they, they pull off making their own uh, sensory deprivation tank in the middle of uh, the gymnasium, which all that water is going to do terrible on that hardwood floor, just so you know. <laughs> well, if they wax it properly, it should be okay. Maybe, but uh, then... Uh, as uh, she's in the upside down, the adults leave, don't they? Yes. I'm trying to remember what happened. I think um, that's when they go to look for. They go to look for something. Did they go? Do they go to Castle Byers? Oh no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the reason why they put her in the the sensory deprivation tank was for her to go back into the upside down to look for Barb and Will. <laughs> so yeah Barb uh, Barb is the first one they come across and then she's like oh she's gone and you see her and she definitely looks dead and she's got like slugs crawling out of her mouth and um, she just says no she's gone she's gone and you know Nancy feels really bummed out about that she's like oh man that sucks and um, so then she keeps exploring in the upside down and she comes across uh, uh, Will, who's still alive, but just barely. And he's hanging out in, uh, yeah, that Castle Byers is what it's called. Right. Like a little fort that they have, um, like right behind their the woods in their, their house, I suppose. So that's why the, the, the mom and Hopper leave. They're like, all right, we need to go find them. Um, but, I mean, first they need to go to, they need to break into the lab one more time. Which they do successfully. I mean, like, dude, <laughs> Hopper is the man. He, he is. broke into this place twice. <laughs> Technically three times because the first time he, like, forced himself in, you know, on yeah. an official capacity. But still, he's like, hey, I need to go in there. So talk to somebody. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. And, uh, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> I think probably one of the best characters of this of the whole show is, is, is Hopper, you know, Sheriff Hopper. 
And uh, the little pieces of his backstory that they kind of throw in and out throughout the, the the show really is the right amount to to make you interested in the character and then also get a feeling of where he come where he's from. Yeah, I love how at the beginning of the show, like the first couple episodes, he couldn't be less interested in what's going on. <laughs> And, and you, as you get it the feeling, yeah. I was going to say, you get the feeling that he picked being sheriff of this little town because nothing happens here, and that's the way he wanted it. Yeah, it's like whatever happened in his past, like, beat him down to the point where he just doesn't care, just wants to kind of phone it in, and this is like his chance for, for redemption, you know, saving a child when he couldn't save his own. I'm like, oh, as a parent, I relate now. So. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so that was really cool. Another one that they kind of defied expectation with too is uh, the the dude that played the the smarmy like cool kid, right? Um, with Steve, Steve the the jock or whatever. Now he wasn't a jock, but he was like one of the cool kids, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of looks like like a young version of John Ralphio from Parks and Rec. <laughs> yes, exactly. He. Um, yeah, you'd think he's just going to be a sleazy guy that only wanted to use Nancy for sex and then just kind of, you know, either ends up biting it in a big way because of he was a jerk or, you know, that was the end of his arc and actually turns out to be a cool dude in the end. Yeah, no, exactly. That's uh, That was one of the, the cool things about the, the show also. It took some of the usual archetypes that you would you'd find in a, in a show like this and, and it didn't go that way. Like he's He is the character that you would think that uh, he's going to be that that cool kid in a slasher film that gets killed because he's kind of a dick, but he, he doesn't get killed and he actually wants the best for Nancy. So it, when he, the two of them end up together, cause you expect Nancy and, uh, uh, the, what will Byers older brother to, to Jonathan. yeah, Jonathan to get together, but they don't because that's not, that's not what happened. That's not, that's not, I guess, I mean, you kind of see that's not real life. No, it was totally a pretty in pink thing going on. Jonathan was like ducky and um, <laughs> <laughs> Steve uh, basically was the um, was it a uh, Andrew James McCarthy Spader character? Uh, Andrew McCarthy, that's the one. Yeah. yeah. So you know, yeah, like, once oh, again, ducky. you know, it, it, just uh, to show what, what kind of great storytelling it is, and and we're we're okay with it. Uh, so finally, we get to the last episode, and uh, it's called the Upside Down, and we see a, a, a lot of the Upside Down because this is where the, uh, Hopper and Winona Ryder's character are traveling around looking for for Will. Yeah, so they, like I said earlier, they break into the lab successfully. Um, they actually, they do get stopped temporarily. You know, they get held up at a point, they get separated, and um, they're like, so, yeah, you need to, like, forget that any of this ever happened or there's going to be consequences. And um, Hopper basically lies and says, yeah, well, I know your whole thing of what's going on here, and if somebody doesn't hear back from me, this is all going to the New York Times and to, like, the press and stuff. And uh, they basically buy into his bluff, and they're like, all right, what do you want? And he says, I just want to go in there and get someone out. That's it. So they, they're they like, okay, you know, that's actually something that kind of served their purpose too. You know, they want to know more about what's in there as well. The last time they tried sending a, a scientist in there, he was basically a red shirt. <laughs> uh, 
it didn't go so well. And um, yeah, so they give them the, some hazmat suits and they let they give them uh, some weapons, and they go in. They, they they're not tethered like the other dude was. Like they know full well like they might not come back, but you know they're gonna go try to find Will anyway. So they start making their way through the upside downs version of the real world to Fort uh, Castle Byers, and Will's not there anymore. Uh, turns out that. As soon as L uh, found him, uh, the monster knew where he was too. That's another way that we know that they're connected. Um, I don't know if we talked about it the last time, but it looked like Eleven could recognize Barb and Will based on photographs, even though she hadn't met them yet. Right. So it seemed like there was some sort of connection. Either she could see into the upside down or could read the mind of the of the creature, which wasn't really clear, but you, you, it was enough to let you know there's a connection there. And um, so, yeah, they keep looking, and um, they finally find him after they see some really strange stuff. They see what looks like a, a cocoon or an egg straight out of aliens uh, on the floor. It, it already looks empty. looks like whatever was in there already hatched. Yeah, it seems like the, the face hugger already popped out. Yeah, and then uh, they see like some skulls. They they find some dead bodies. They see some that look like they're already stuck on a wall, exactly like the xenomorphs would catch people and you know in order to impregnate them. So like this is where I thought it was interesting is like because you get uh, obviously Barb gets taken in and she gets eaten right away. Other people are obviously dead all around, but yet Will's been in there for how, how many weeks now, and yet he's still alive. And they kind of try and pass it off with a little dialogue of that when L's like he's hiding, he's he's constantly running away from him. But uh, why is it that he's he gets to survive? I mean, is it just because he's the focal point of the story, and and we he gets to like to to be in a cocoon instead of actually being eaten? Well, I think that was the um, how would you say it. Uh... That I, that I believe there were others that were cocooned as well. So you they see at least, yeah, you see one other person at least uh, that's also in a similar situation or similar position. Um, when they find Will, and Will looks like he's, I mean, he was surviving all right up until this point, and now he's close to death. Like he was not breathing, unresponsive. They have to like do CPR on him or something. Well, that was another thing is that the scientist tells Hopper and Winona Ryder's character that you know, it's it's not breathable air over there, or that's why you have to wear the suits. But uh, obviously, he's been living there for a couple weeks, and he hasn't quite died yet. But now, after this much time, he's finally gonna succumb to this terrible oxygen. For the, it probably wasn't even that. I think the the air is probably thicker. Whatever that was, it kept floating on there. Whether it was like some kind of fungus or just like ash or something, it just made it thicker. There was less oxygen, but I, I think it was still breathable. Because what's her name? When Nancy goes in there, you know, when she was uh, looking for the deer, I guess in the in the woods. Right. Which, by the way, I don't know if we mentioned it last time. That scene was awesome. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, we got to put it out of its misery." All right, and bam, monster just snatches it. 
Um, yeah, she goes in, and she doesn't seem to really have a problem. She's, you know, weirded out because everything's kind of strange and, you know, not quite what it should be, but she seems to be getting along all right. Maybe she just wasn't in there long enough. That wasn't really clear. Maybe, you know, that's, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, I, I understand that it's, uh, it's it's that he's the the point of the whole the whole movie and and stuff like that or the whole show so she gets to be saved but i think it's just it's just inconsistent that you know barb got eaten right away but then he gets put away as a snack for later i don't know so it's just and if they would have saved both him and barb then it would have just been too much of a happy ending yeah you need to have consequences and stuff although i have to say i think that will there's definitely Definitely something special about Will. Not so much that he has powers or anything, but there's something about him that does stand out. And I want to say that it's his imagination. Mm. The fact that he's a D&D player, there's something about the way he thinks that was able to help him survive. Like, he um, he could use the, the upside down somewhat to his advantage. Because, yeah, like when Barb gets taken, you get to see a little bit more about what happens immediately afterwards. Whereas with Will, you don't. And, um, you know, she, I was just saying, and you're right. He is, I mean, he obviously learned how to use the, the lights to, to send messages to his mother. So he's, uh, he's quite intelligent. Yeah. I think that the D and D has a lot to play in that. And, uh, <laughs> the, um, let's see, but yeah. So Barb, because she's much more like pragmatic, I suppose, like much more cut and dry. Like she had no, um, she didn't have the mental prowess to like outwit the monster, I guess. She just basically, you know, bit it immediately. Um, now, kind of an interesting little bit of trivia. If you remember during one of the flashback scenes, when um, Jonathan is remembering Will and how like he would share his music with him. Uh huh. One of the big songs that stands out was the Clash's "Should I Stay or Should I Go." And that's also a song that Will sings to himself while he's in the Upside Down, and they can hear it on one of the radios uh, when they're trying to communicate with him. Now, that's a nice little, you know, reference to the earlier scene where they were showing that, you know, his brother shared music with him and whatnot. But it's also indicative of exactly what's happening with him in the Upside Down. Like, he constantly has to ask himself if he should stay where he is or if he should try going somewhere else to hide. Interesting. And, and yeah, he says, if I stay, it, there will be trouble. If I go, it will be double. I was like, that's really cool. And yeah. that almost kind of reminds me a little bit of the Tempest with the, the witches and stuff. Like how they're constantly singing about, you know, toil and trouble and all that. True. Like, that is really cool. A uh, little kind of in-joke or referencing there that's going on. Oh, I'm going to say that's very lucky then that they got, to, they got the rights to use that song then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so but then, now it's probably going to be more popular. <laughs> yeah, when they, uh, you know, the monster comes out of the upside down. It, it it attacks the kids in the school. It attacks uh, uh, the soldiers that the HPL sent after them. It, it even kills uh, Matthew Modine, if I remember correctly. Well, not necessarily. Okay. If you, um, it it does look like. Well, first of all. Yeah, the kids are cornered because the the the, the scientists at the agency, whoever, um, they finally track them down that they're at the school too. 
So that's one of the reasons why some of the they all basically split ways because of that too. Um, once they get cornered, you know, from like both sides of the hall, Elle then uses her powers to like kill pretty much everyone that was there. Uh, that lady that assassinated the the, the diner cook in uh, the first or the second first or second episode. Right. Um, she she you know bled from her eyes and nose and so did a bunch of the other soldiers that were there and they all died which is what attracted the the creature to their location in the first place it's like all that blood as dustin said and the creature starts to pound through the wall and yeah it looks like it takes out all of the soldiers and it even makes a point to show that it knocked out or at least knocked out of frame matthew modine's character dr brenner however in the the last scene of the show where they're showing that uh, the newspaper clippings of um you know will byers the boy that came back from the dead and like a couple of others it shows um one of the articles says that dr brenner um would not be reached for comment or something like that but not in a way that says oh he's dead and they're covering up it sounds like he's still alive it sounds like they're saying that research will continue even though an inquiry is, uh, you know, being performed and that, you know, Dr. Brenner or something. something. It's in the one of those videos I'm recommending. Okay. Like they, if you freeze frame it and actually show that it, it sounds like he's still alive. Well, there you go. I mean, that's I – mean, we'll have to expect to see him more in season two then. Uh, now, the kids think that uh, these rocks that they picked out earlier in the season uh are going to be the thing that kills the 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 tuoped and they start firing it using their uh wrist rocket or lucas's wrist rocket and i i and i've been told and because I, I don't remember it that well but this is very uh similar to stephen king's it as we talk about that again yep uh that's exactly right yeah in uh, stephen king's it they all take turns seizing a slingshot to see who's the best shot because they they have the the theory that you know silver can hurt it because they watched um, what was it I was a teenage werewolf okay and yeah this I mean the original movie takes place in like the or late late fifties or early sixties right which actually kind of makes me wonder if they're gonna keep that time frame for the new movie or if it's gonna be more modernized kind of hoping it's not but at the same time. The other version's been done, so like that could be one of the new ways they update it. Like this time now, it's going to take place in the '80s, with the present being now. I wouldn't. That was about the same time frame. I don't know. To me, I, I don't think they would. Be, I think they would keep it in the in the original time period because if they update it, then you got things like how does cell phones work in, and you know, uh, you know, all kinds of different airwaves or frequencies that are flowing around i don't know to me i i think when stories are set in a certain time period if you update it then you just have more problems yeah i remember seeing somewhere like how many seinfeld plots would have been undone if they just had cell phones <laughs> this is very true <laughs> yeah it's like it's cell phones ruined everything you have to, <laughs> you know make things take place in a less technology privileged world right but uh, so yeah, so I'll go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say. So the kids, you know, they start shooting off these 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 uh, stones at it, and uh, and obviously you think that I, at least that's what was going through my head is that one one of those stones is going to be 
the perfect shot to go right down the gullet of the of tulip head and that's going to kill it but right when you're, you think you're going to get that kill shot uh the monster gets thrown against the wall and uh it's it's l yeah she um i think she passed out in the previous scene and then she comes back was that right or was yeah, she always she, just no she passes out after him. she takes down all the hpl guys yeah. because she's used up so much of her energy yeah so now she's back in full force and yeah, she's totally in command. You know, she's keeping the creature really suppressed against the wall, and she walks up to it, and I believe she says something about how like this is all my fault or something. I'm not. I, 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 yeah, I believe so. I think I'm misremembering, but yeah, she says something about how she's she's responsible, so she's going to take care of it. So she walks, you know, slowly walks up to it, you know, real dramatic for attention, and then um. As the monster reaches out to her, she basically disintegrates the both of them, like real Jean Grey style. Which I thought was interesting, seeing as how the, the you know, because that's exactly what's going through my head, the whole Phoenix Force uh, kind of uh, powers and storyline, and that's what, you know, we have in earlier in the season when they're when Dustin and Will are riding their bikes and they're going to uh, race for a certain copy of an X-Men and the, the X-Men they re- reference is the, I believe the beginning of the Phoenix saga. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do believe they mentioned that in that Easter eggs video I mentioned like it, episode, or issue 134 or whatever it was, is a, the first appearance of the Phoenix, I believe. And they show you a little comic cover and I was like, Oh, that's cool. So, I mean, it was tied in there at the very beginning to, to the very end. What, 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 you, something you could expect so once again some of the great references that the Duffer Brothers threw in there and uh, I can't wait to check out this video that you're talking about because I would like to see some of the other references that are out there oh yeah man those Duffer Brothers I, I, I <laughs> this is such a long shot but after seeing what a great job they did with this they're like my go to guys like I want them to do anything and everything that takes place in the 80s like <laughs> period style like, I want, like, this is my theory for, like, okay, well, we talked about it in the past. I hate Michael Bay. I think his Transformers movies are the worst. Okay. <laughs> and um, now he directs good action. I want to say the same thing about Zack Snyder. I love how they direct action. I hate their movie making in general, though. Now, I've, 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 I keep saying that when I win the lottery, I want to finance the next Transformers movie, among others. I want to become a big hotshot producer. But I want it to take place in the 80s. I want it to be a much simpler plot. And I would now like the Duffer Brothers. This is the official uh, job offer to the Duffer Brothers to direct my future uh, retro 80s Generation 1 Transformers movie. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> like, I, I, hope that, you know, I hope they have their slate clear in like five or six years. <laughs> Uh, when I when I have my untold millions, so you, you, you untold billions. <laughs> billions yes. Oh yeah, because I'm not the only one. I also want to finance Guillermo del Toro's in the uh, what's it at the Mountains of Madness, and um, Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, Robotech. Wow, those, those are my pet projects. I'm, I have in I'm my glad, mind right now. I'm glad you have you have plans for all those. Yeah. <laughs> just I just need the money, and we'll get it done. You'll see. Fair enough. I, I'm I'll yeah. be there with you. <laughs> <All> <laughs> Hopefully. Right, cool, 
So <laughs> we'll get you back to Stranger Things. Um, the we get Will. Elle's dead, supposedly, or you know, whatever. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, we we now jump forward till Christmas, and we have the the scene that you talked about earlier with the the kids playing their D and D game. And to me, at the end of this D and D game, when they do have all these kind of fourth wall breaking, uh, you know, reference to the rest of the show dialogue about, well, what about the, the eggs they found in the cave? And, you know, what about the, the daughter of this? And it was like, it, to me, it was some of the best, I just cleverest dialogue that I, I, I'd seen in a while or heard in a while that, you know, referenced the rest of the show. Like, what about all these loose ends? And they're like, well, we'll deal with it next time, you know? And, and that's exactly what you get with the, you're probably going to get with the season two. Um, but then you see, uh, you know, uh, Nancy's with Steve and Jonathan comes by to pick up Will and Will and Jonathan and Winona Ryder are having their nice dinner. Uh, but then Will gets up to go to the bathroom and doesn't quite seem everything's right. Yeah. So, uh. <laughs> in the scene that immediately brought back flashbacks to the first alien with uh, John Hurt, mm-hmm. and he starts coughing like a real dry cough, and you're like, "Uh oh, did, did he actually get in, impregnated by something?" And that's gonna like burst out of his chest like the xenomorph. No, it wasn't nearly that gruesome, but it was still pretty um, off-putting. Yeah, he he hawks up a larva or like some kind of eel or like leech thing. Mm-hmm. It just looks like a weird worm into the bathroom sink. Now he's totally not faced by this. He was like, "Oh, another one," <laughs> you know, like that's the face he makes. He just kind of like rinses it down, looks in the mirror, and just has this face of like, "Oh, that one is that one wasn't so bad," and. Then he does seem to get a little startled because he, for a brief moment, flashes into the upside down. And then everything goes back to normal. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that wasn't too bad. And he goes back, sits down with his family, and continues to have a Christmas dinner, I think. And you're like, what the fuck just happened? (laughs) (laughs) Like, what's going on here? And... um, yeah, the, the, the him coughing up the leech thing really reminded me of Night of the Creeps. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. I've never actually watched it, but I've heard a lot of things about it. Or I've read a lot of things about it. Uh, it it's, it's one of those great 80s movies where um, essentially um, this this slug comes from outer space and it turns people into zombies and every person that infects basically becomes a host to create more of these like slug things. And uh, it looks a lot like that, like when they're coughing them up. You basically cough up like a big black leech-looking thing. And then it's, it's it's alive and it squirms away and it tries to find another host. So you're like, so what does this mean for Will? <laughs> Why does he not seem to care or mention that this happened, you know? So it's really interesting. Um, I also should note that when uh, Will wakes up at the hospital at this point, now that he's been brought back from the Upside Down, one of the first things he notices before he's even fully conscious is somehow he can tell that his brother cut his hand. So oh. it's almost like he can smell the blood. And like the the hand isn't even in frame. He was like, hey, did something happen to your hand? And Jonathan pulls it up and says, oh, yeah, I cut myself. 
And that was a reference to a scene that happened earlier when they were trying to draw out the creature in the, the buyer's home. Uh, him and Nancy both cut their hands, I believe. Right. Maybe it was just him. But because they have the theory that blood will draw it out, you know, he basically slit, slit his whole palm. So it's interesting now. It seems like Will might have the ability to, to smell blood or something. Or maybe he's it's a, he's either part creature now or has been infected by something that's giving him like more creature-like abilities or something. Right, and maybe he has the, the ability to travel to the Upside Down without going through this, the, the deprivation tank or something like that. Uh, that that would be pretty interesting. I mean, if if he actually has changed on a physiological level or if it's because he's impregnated with something that can do those things or, you know, what if the cocoon was actually something that was replicating what Will looked like? What if it's not actually Will? Yeah, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers type where... Will actually was gone at this point, and this was just the uh, surrogate Will being created. Which, like I said, yeah, like the fact that he seems to be completely normal or cool with the the previous scenes we were mentioning is like, well, maybe that's not Will anymore. I do like I do like these uh, hypotheses, <laughs> and uh, hopefully we find out more answers in uh, season two. And then the, I, the last thing I mean, it would be cool to talk about was uh, Hopper after getting his his uh, to go meal from the looks like an office party. Um, he t- also takes some egos and he drops them in a in a box in the middle of the woods, which I uh, would assume means that uh, it's a reference or it's a hint that L is still alive and living on her own outside in the woods, which would be really, really fucking cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. Like it, it, it that brings up so many questions, but it's such a good visual ending too. Um it makes me wonder if uh like the only way to keep the monster at bay is for L to basically stay on the other side in order to keep the portals shut. Um, which means that like you were saying, she's still alive and Somehow he knows, so he's kind of, you know, putting her favorite snack out there. Or if it's just, um, and this is probably not it, but this would also work for me thematically if it was true, that he's just doing it as a way to honor her. Like, it's it's sort of almost like a little tribute or uh, an offering saying, like, um, you know, this is for you. You know, like, if it was a 40, he'd probably be spilling some of it, too, you know, for her. You know, and I I like that, too. The only thing is that, like, to me, the biggest question that come out of that is like, where's the food from the last time? You know, where's the container from the last time? I mean, I, oh yeah. I mean, yeah, unless he just a... has several, and then maybe some homeless person is just coming by and picking up food. He's like, hey, someone left my food here. That's awesome. But you know, it's it's that's interesting to me. That's what the biggest thing that was going through my head. Now, yeah, if and this is the last thing I want to talk about. But if like. So you know how Will is talking to his mother through the lights in the house, right? Uh-huh. Now, she would have had to put up... She puts up the, the Christmas lights for him to, to manipulate. Now, as she's putting them up in the real world, is are they just manifesting in the Upside Down so that he can manipulate them? See, that's a good question. Um, when you see some of the characters go into the Upside Down... It seems like it's a static world. I mean, it's completely empty. There's no other people. Like you even see a quick shot of them walking through the town, and there's cars and there's buildings and everything. But like, it looks like it's completely abandoned. So you have to wonder how much effect the world has on the upside down in real time. Right. It almost seems like 
to me, the, the way I thought of it, because there's other movies I've seen like this, um, like think of um, Constantine with, okay. uh, what's his name? Keanu, Keanu Reeves. Reeves. Right. Yeah, Constantine has a really similar upside down kind of thing, except it, with him it's hell. I think they just called it Limbo. Limbo? Okay, it's Limbo. But um, it's uh, it basically like, you know, like there's moving cars and everything in the real world, but when he goes into the limbo, everything looks like it's just like still. True. So I was kind of wondering that myself. Is like how do these things – like obviously you're not going to see things floating by themselves. You don't see cars driving on, on the street that are empty. So I don't – I don't really know. I think my theory is, I don't know if this is how they would explain it, but my theory is that when you go into the upside down, you go into like a snapshot of what the world was when you first went into it. And then something has to happen to uh, to refresh the, the upside down, I guess, would be a, a way to put it, okay. in order for it to get caught up. But you don't see changes happening in real time. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, I I get what you're saying, and, and okay. I, it, 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 it's it is an interesting way to to think about. It. I mean, it's it's something to to contemplate. Seeing is how I mean, we obviously don't get those type of answers in the show, and I don't know if anybody's actually asked the Duffer Brothers in interviews or not of 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 those type of things. But it it is interesting to think about because yeah, it would have to, like you you could say that once the tulip head comes through into our world, maybe once he gets thrown back into his world. That's when it refreshes, so that would explain why the lights are up for Will to, to manipulate. Yeah, and it's also not clear how Will can hear his mom so well. And um, you don't really get that unless you're 11. You know, 11 can hear because of her psychic powers, but you know, he seems to be having almost full on like Ouija board style conversations with his mom. Thanks to the lights. Well then maybe you mean, that, that would be, maybe that's something to, to think about that. It's a, uh, it's an echo of our world, not so much just the upside down. Mm. So it's like mental projection of what's going on there. Yeah. Which then also could, you know, come back to the, to the idea that uh, the whole world was created because it was, it was just blank and then it was created once L traveled to the other, other side. Yeah, I found that interesting too. It's like uh, at first there was nothing because L didn't really know much of the world, and then now that she started to see it, she was, it was manifesting, and that's another reason why I really like it and compare it to Silent Hill, which those videos I mentioned also do. So I kind of feel glad that I'm not the only one that sees those connections, <laughs> where um, the in the original storyline of Silent Hill before the American company screwed it up. Uh, <laughs> the whole underworld or the uh, the other world was a manifestation of her psyche because she was like basically mentally damaged because of abuse and you know being possessed by a demon and whatnot so everything that you saw th there was a reason for it it wasn't just because oh it looks really cool and metal to go to this like <laughs> hellish version with chain links and all this like no there's a reason for that you know there's a reason why you see like messed up hospitals and messed up schools because that's what the girl experienced growing up and it's like a twisted version that her mind created because she's also kind of going through some stuff. So, if, so in um, other words, if she was a little bit more stable and didn't have such a, a broken psyche, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't look all terrifying. Yeah. And one of the things I mentioned in the red, in the subreddit for stranger things, which by the way, if uh, any of you out there are avid Reddit, you know, browsers, 
the Stranger Things subreddit is fantastic. <laughs> I noticed that uh, they've been doing some really cool fan art, and some of the fan art that's been posted on Geek Elite, I actually saw it on uh, on the, the subreddit for Stranger Things as well. So I'm like, it's definitely making the rounds, and it's some really cool stuff in there. But one of the things I suggested is, um, so we know Eleven, you know, because of the tattoo, and that's what she calls herself. So what about 1 through 10? This is very true. Those are, those are subjects that we don't know anything about. Yeah. And would each one of these have their own version of the Upside Down with their own individual unique monsters that are, you know, pertaining to their individual psyches? Or uh, are they random? Do they, do they, Are the Upside Downs even compatible? Like, could two different telepathic people go to the same Upside Down? Or is, There's just so many cool questions that this brings up, and I'm just more and more curious. Well, there you go, folks. That's Stranger Things. And uh, if you have more questions and, and more uh, things that you want to talk about, definitely get a hold of us. Uh, I'm on Twitter as at agent underscore of the underscore bat. John is on Twitter as at magic bollocks. And we can also see uh, get the rest of Geek Elite Radio at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter. So, uh, But most of our conversation is done on Facebook, so you can come join our community and be more vocal and uh, throw in your two cents about Stranger Things and anything else geek-related that you want to talk about. So uh, we're Geek Elite Radio on Facebook. And also check out geekeliteradio.com as our website for archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio Network. John, anything else you want to talk about before uh, we sign off? Uh, yeah, I'm a really big fan of these long-form movies that Netflix is passing off as uh, TV show seasons. <laughs> I think uh, this this is not a eight-episode season. This is an eight-hour-long movie. <laughs> That's definitely how it feels, and a lot of their a lot of their shows, uh, original shows, are, are definitely feel like that. That's how I feel about both seasons of Daredevil, uh, and uh, you know. Uh, anything else? I, I I've heard I haven't I haven't watched it yet, but I've heard uh, the Get Down is pretty good, so I'm probably gonna check that out next. Oh yeah, I started watching it. It looks interesting, although I haven't gotten too far into it. <laughs> this makes me wonder. Not to get off topic, uh, I accidentally revisited Batman v Superman the other day. <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was I walking with... around with the DVD tripped, it fell into the <laughs> Blu-ray player. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I, I tripped on it. Yeah. And it, so, so uh, I got a free rental from Voodoo because I'm on T-Mobile and they got that T-Mobile Tuesday thing going on. So I figured, oh, well, maybe this is my chance to watch the extended edition. Uh, it turns out it was just a theatrical, so I felt like I just wasted a free rental <laughs> and two and a half hours of my life on that same movie. Again. But it made me think. If Stranger Things, as an eight-hour movie, was edited down to like two hours – Think of how horrible that would be because of everything they would have to cut out. And I'm thinking that's the problem with some of these movies that we're getting, like Suicide Squad, like DC. They're trying to cram so much, but you just don't have the time frame and like a standard theatrical runtime to flesh it out. Something like that would probably work better in a long form like this. Like It would probably work better as a season of a TV show than as a full-blown movie. You're right, and it's exactly true. I mean, a lot of these movies that are doing this they're they're really cramming way too much in and you're you're not getting time for an actual story or character to develop and at the end of the movie you're just like who cares what what why did i care about any of this and that's that's exactly how i felt at the end of 
Batman v Superman Dawn Justice, both theatrical and Ultimate Edition. And they still didn't have enough time to develop any of the characters. They literally just go off of how much you already know about Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman before you even enter the movie. So, which, don't get me wrong, you can imagine everybody in the world knows who Batman and knows who Superman is, and they know the story, but there's just interesting uh, little things about each character that they don't throw in there so that it doesn't matter at the end of the movie. Yeah, I would I would have liked a little backstory on how Jimmy Olsen was working for the CIA. <laughs> I was like, "What? That was Jimmy Olsen?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. What? I mean, in the in the theatrical version, you don't even he doesn't even say his name, so you don't even know that it's Jimmy Olsen. It's not until the director came out and said afterwards that, "Oh yeah, that was Jimmy Olsen," and then they threw it into the ultimate edition. No, I saw it in the credits. I was like, "What?" Oh, well, that's true. It is in the credits, but still, yeah, you, you uh... wouldn't have known. Yeah, and I was like, and that just made so many more questions and stuff. That's why I'm partially excited for the prospect of a, a miniseries version of The Watchmen that I've been hearing rumblings about. Uh, I thought Zack Snyder's version was serviceable, and at this point, probably the best cinematic version we're ever going to get. But if they went so far as to make like the full 10 episode or 12 to make it so like one episode was equivalent to one issue of the comic, I... Uh, that would be so much cooler, in my opinion. I would love that, too. But the only thing to me is that they I, I feel like they would end up stretching it out. Because then you'd be get the you you Because whatever channel picks it up, I think the best place it should be is either, like, you know, uh, Showtime, HBO, or Cinemax, or something like that. Or maybe even Netflix or Hulu. But if they, they would stretch it out to be, like... Uh, what happened so that you get season two and season three and stuff like that? I would rather have it all be one season or just a mini series and, and be it done with, but it would it'd be stretched out too much, I think. Oh, yeah, I think it would just be that singular run, kind of like how they did, um, was it 11, 22, 63, or something like that? Or oh, uh, that's true, yeah, on Hulu with uh, James Franco, Stephen King's yeah. novel. Uh, that was that wasn't that many episodes, actually. I thought it was going to be much longer or. or be more seasons but no it's just one single season right, fair enough if they could do that if they could do it as a miniseries and have it as just 10 episodes and, and be done with i'd be fine just as long as they don't bring back the space octopus that was the dumbest thing <laughs> about the book well see if if they had the time to flesh out why that space octopus existed don't i think it could work no <laughs> no don't no don't get <laughs> i like the manhattan thing that they did in the movie i thought for the movie that worked but the reason why the whole space octopus thing was there in the first place, because it was a reference to, uh, like, uh, what was it? The, not the Twilight Zone. What was the other one? Uh, outer Limits. Outer Limits, yeah. It was a reference to an Outer Limits episode where essentially the same thing happens. It's a, it's, it's a, a big hoax that's used to kind of prevent um, World War Three from happening because it diverts all of humanity's attention to a common enemy instead of each other. That's the basic gist of it. And although Manhattan served the same purpose, I mean, Alan Moore wrote it for a reason. You know, like the, I, I, I'm a fan of his writing, and I thought that although, like I said, the the movie worked with what it did, and it, the, the Manhattan change was it worked for the movie. If you're going to do a more faithful adaptation, then you definitely need that extra time to to explain why it's there and how it fits, and and it's a mystery. You know, like. The mystery is set up from the beginning. It's the whole reason why what's-his-name was killed, uh, the comedian. Right. No, you know? I get it. And, I, I, I get it. And I, I just, I'm just saying, 
space robotic octopus is just too ridiculous. Even me saying it sounds weird, but I mean, if you could throw in something else, just just make up a face a fake alien race that that is going to be the 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 hoax. But uh, I don't know. Uh, all right. Well, if they do it, then they do it. We'll, we'll see. I'll watch it. Don't worry. I'll be there. Um, we'll, we'll talk about it then for sure. <laughs> uh, but that, that we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode and uh, say that I don't know what we're going to do next week. What do you? Is there any particular subject you want to talk about? Well, um, there is that election coming up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, we'll find out. We'll we'll be here next week. So, uh, this has been the Geeks Watch on the Geek Elite Radio Network. Saying, always remember to geek out. Geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.